Well, let's go ahead and jump in to the word of the Lord today. And we're just going to dive around and be in the Advent season. We, we like to bring out the prophecy and look at different aspects of Christ and the wonder, the wonder of the season. And, you know, the Advent, as many of us come out of Catholic backgrounds, we, we're familiar with the Advent season, and it's referring to the, the weeks leading up to, again, Advent just simply meaning the coming of Christ, and so the Christmas story was the first Advent, and again, whenever we start talking about the first Advent, it, it does prompt our hearts in knowing our Bibles, knowing our, our doctrine that that there is to be a second Advent. And this first Advent that we celebrate is not only a celebration of that which has happened and Christ has come, but it's a, it's a preparation for the second Advent of His return. And, you know, this year, <laughs> and I'm not picking on anybody, so don't, don't, get, don't, don't let this get personal, too personal, but it is personal. This year, when Advent falls on the Lord's Day, it's an appropriate day. <laughs> I mean, it's actually, I mean, if we, would have, if we would have done it a little better, being how the birth of Christ was, was um, highly, highly not on December 25th, but more of, it's more of a, a rough guesstimate, we're not going to go into Christmas history or anything. Everybody, if you're holding your breath, you can release it. The simple only point is that going back, it would have been a great, a great strategy to put kind of like the Lord's Day with the Resurrection Day, Christmas on the Lord's Day every year. Because really, that's what Christmas is. It's a celebration of the coming of Christ and how appropriate it is for it to be on the Lord's Day. However... I'm going to pick on myself first before I pick on anybody else. When the, the Advent, the celebration of Christ's first coming falls on a Christmas morn, falls on a Lord's Day on a Sunday, boy, it messes all of us up. <laughs> Probably mostly, mostly me, pastors, because even though it's really an appropriate day, you know, our minds immediately go to all the, the weirdness of Christmas on the Lord's Day. For me, as a pastor, is anybody going to be in church? <laughs> there you go. I said it. The truth. You know, we try to keep it real around here. You know, is anybody, is anybody going to make it to church, you know, on, on the Sunday? Thus, we have the Saturday. I know. I get it. I'm, I'm with you, and I'm for you. From some of us, maybe from our kids, when they first realize that Christmas is on a Sunday, it's, well, what about presents and chocolate, hot chocolate and in the Christmas tradition? We're not going to do that on Christmas, are we, Mom? Dad? It's how our minds sort of, it's just where we go with it. Parents, moms, 
How will I finish food prep and get the grandmas on time? All right, real stuff. For our dads, honey, what are we doing on Christmas Day anyway? <laughs> For the dads or the husbands, sweetie, what was the plans? Did you, did you figure them out yet? Just let me know when you figure them out. It's not carte blanche in every family, but it is probably in more than not. But it is what it is, and I'm just playing around a little bit with it today. Because the first advent was and is a beautiful event. It was a beautiful moment in time. I mean, one that obviously was prophetic in nature and one that changed the course of history and is going to change the eternity for, for many, many thousands upon thousands and perhaps millions upon millions. I don't have the numbers of people's eternity. There was 400 years of, of silence from the last book of the Bible in Malachi where we read in Malachi in chapter 4 and just some of the verses in this final chapter of the Old Testament where it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will stumble, and the day which is coming shall burn them with fire, says the Lord, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 2 in Malachi chapter 4, it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. <laughs> you like that, huh? You should grow fat like a cow. Is that what the Bible just said to us? <laughs> so, you know what? The next time somebody says, man, you are fat as a cow, you just look at him and say, thank you. It's biblical. It's supposed to be fat like cows. 400 years of silence before the first advent took place. It was 400 years of, of darkness without any word of the Lord going forth, without any prophetic utterance, without any move of God without any national repentance, without any city of Nineveh mercy-filled revivals. It was 400 years of silence until in the fullness of time, the silence was broken. And the silence was actually first broken with this, this burst of light. The darkness was broken with this burst of light that came onto the scene. When the Word of God calls prophetically in that last book of the Old Testament, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. We go to Matthew in chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. It says, The land of Zebulun 
in the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and in the shadow of death, light has dawned. The first advent was about this great light, Christ, the Son of Righteousness, bursting forth onto the scene, bringing forgiveness, bringing deliverance from darkness, bringing guidance so that we can no longer be a people who are just fumbling our way through the darkness of life, but that we can actually be a people who have a light, a shining beacon of light to follow. Like the light of the morning that shines brighter and brighter until the noonday sun. A light that would guide us, a light that would awaken us, a light that would drown out the darkness, not the, not the physical darkness alone out there, but the darkness that was in our hearts, the darkness that only, not only kept us from finding our way of the path of righteousness in this life, but the darkness that prohibited us from seeing the light of Christ, for the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they should not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It was a penetrating darkness that, that could not be seen or navigated through until the light, the sun of righteousness, arose upon this earth. It's as if our heavenly Father gives us an illustration every single day of our lives as the sun rises and the sun sets and, and darkness sets in every single night. Different degrees, as we obviously know, with the reflection of the moon. And we're not going to get distracted by that beautiful part of creation today. But every day the Lord is reminding us. As the sun comes and rises and shines and then sets once again, only to rise again the next day. The sun, the physical sun in the sky isn't enough. Even the moon and the stars, as beautiful as they are, are not sufficient light. All the lights... Even all of our artificial lights now upon this earth, all light has an origin. It's all a pale reflection of the great sun of righteousness and the great beacon of light and beacon of hope that is found within Christ starting on that first advent. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, it says the people, again, walked in darkness as Matthew was actually quoting 
from the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath a light shined. You know, we can all remember and we've all felt the long, thick darkness of night. We've all pre Christ, and, and not to only put it pre-Christ in our life, but even at times in our walk with Christ. There have been times where we have felt this, the long, thick darkness of night, and I'm not just talking about the hours between sunset and sunrise, but, but these times in our life when we are, we are walking through situations and seasons of darkness in our life, sometimes brought on by our own actions, sometimes having nothing to do with anything that we've done, having us scratching our head, not quite always understanding everything that's transpiring around us. But nonetheless, then the kindness of our Savior, He both appeared and he appears to dispel the darkness of night. You see, Christ has come and Christ dwells within us to push darkness from us. The morning star shines the brightest when the darkness is about to dissipate in the day is about to break. Only the light of Christ can drive away the darkness within a man and a woman's heart. He is our morning star. The one whom darkness has no defense against. If we were to talk about the nature of the light of Christ and just the nature of light itself, think about it for just a few moments. Darkness has absolutely no recourse against light. None. It can't fight it in any sort of way. It can't stop it in any sort of way. When light gets turned on, when the switch gets turned on, the darkness is immediately gone. When there is light, there's no darkness present. And that's the goal of Christ's light in our life. Christ, the goal of Christ being the light of the world, the bright and morning star, the star of David. Even in this Advent season, we love to decorate our homes and our trees and our yards, some a little bit more obnoxiously than others. Is there any really obnoxious 
light decorator. Are y'all, are y'all completely lit up? Is everything just lit up from like a mile away? You can see it? Oh, send a picture, send a picture. I have to come visit. Is it worthy of a drive-by? All right. Oh, mom's like, wow, you're really stepping it up. Is anybody else's home worthy of a drive-by? Worthy of a drive-by? All right. All right. So far, we got the McCanns and the Campbells. Just line up. Make a schedule. But it's part of the season. It's, it's part of the whole idea of the light has come forth. The bright in the morning star. It's not just, it's not just for means of, of decorating. I've thought I'm not a decorator. I confess. My children try each year. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe do better. Now we have a lot of trees. And I do have just, I can't, if I say this out loud, I might get myself in trouble. But we do have a lot of trees in the front. So I can envision all those trees being wrapped and lit up one year. If I do it one year, we're leaving the lights up and they're never coming down. I can envision it maybe happening. Because I do love, I love the, the result, not necessarily the process. Or the price tag. More, me, it's more of the price tag. I am a frugal Chinese man at heart. I'm Fujin. I'm Fujin Chinese. Very plain on the outside. Very. Anyway, we're moving on. Light makes visible. Light makes manifest. The devil, the wicked, will not suffer themselves to attempt to not suffer themselves, I should say, to be made manifest in the light. Anything that needs to be hidden in the darkness and put under a bushel When light shines into our life, when light shines into our situations, light exposes the works of darkness. It exposes, and we need to be a people who grow more and more okay with the exposing of the darkness that remains in our lives. We get so nervous. What will people think? How do I even how do I even begin to address this? Oh, it's simple. The first step is always just let the spotlight of the Lord begin to shine. Let it expose all areas of darkness in our life, as ugly as you think they are. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of people pushing us away when, when I'll be the first to tell you 
that there is nothing that any of us can share. There is nothing that can be exposed that, that more than likely there is not, there's not many others, even in a, a small room like this, that aren't either dealing with it or have dealt with it. That's a true statement. We always think our darkness is darker than somebody else's darkness. We always think our darkness is somehow uglier, can't find our way than somebody else's that they've been stumbling through. But allowing the light of Christ to shine upon what the enemy, what Satan is continually attempting to do in our lives. One thing that I notice, and you know that I'm not one to talk about the devil very much. We talk about Jesus in this house. But I will say this about, about the devil is that he's persistent. He has no power. He has no defense against light. But he's stupid. And he thinks he does. And he will persist and persist. And our, one of our greatest defenses against all the works of darkness is to allow the simple nature of the light of Christ to shine forth and through and in our lives. Let the light of Jesus shine forth. Every one of us is in some sort of condition like this until the light of the, of the gospel, of the glory of Christ breaks through into our lives and melts down the hardness, dispels the darkness, and once again unites us to the life of God and makes us new creatures and new creations through faith in Christ. Every one of us, there's no unique individual upon this earth who doesn't need this light of the gospel to shine forth in their life. Jesus has come in this first advent. He's come to take away the darkness, to take away the secrets, to take away the hiddenness. He's come to bring light and to bring freedom. Freedom for all his people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, called you out of, called you out of into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Marvelous light. We can do a quick little word dive on marvelous light. In its marvelous light is worthy of pious, holy admiration. This marvelous light that, that the Lord has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen to this 
Second definition of it. It's a light that passes our human comprehension. We can't even understand. We can't understand how we have access to it. We can't understand how it accomplishes what it accomplishes in our life. I mean, people want to people jump through. They do something that, that, and again, as believers, we do something. We stumble, we fall, we sin. People's like, what kind of, of backflips and hoops can I jump through to fix all this? When the only thing that has to happen is the marvelous light of Christ has to be welcomed in to shine upon it. And we begin to just scratch our heads, but isn't there something to do? There's always something to do, but it's only in response to what the light of Christ is doing in our life. Listen to this one. It says, the marvelous light, it causes amazement. That's nice, right? Joined with terror. It's like, whoa. But at the same time, you, we get this like, whoa, it's, it's the, in, the, in the book of Acts and the earlier, it's the awe effect. Oh, you're like, oh. But at the same time, when, when, we, when we have this awe effect and this woe effect, then it's this, it's this, this terror, this holy terror. It's why every time in the word of God, anytime Jesus pops up on the scene, and even sometimes just when angels pop up on the scene, people are like dropping like flies, falling down on their face. I mean, it's like so holy, so beautiful, so bright and glorious that it's just, it's terrifying. Grips are at very, every part of our being. So it's this amazing, terrifying, in the best sense of the word, Effect, extraordinary, striking, and surpassing everything that we could have previously imagined when the light of Christ, the marvelous light, burst forth in our life. Darkness, darkness becomes uncomfortable for the children of light. Darkness becomes uncomfortable. You might stumble around in it still some here and there, but you certainly aren't enjoying it. You wonder why we can't do the things that we once did. Well, many reasons. Being a new creation in Christ. But you know with me, there's sometimes that we still, we dabble. We dabble in darkness. When we dabble in darkness as children of the light, it's no longer enjoyable. It's no longer satisfying like it once was. It might satisfy our, our flesh, or our, our thoughts, or our mind for a moment, but man, that moment is short-lived, and next thing you know, torment settles in because darkness is not a place for the children of light. Christ has come as the light of the world to dispel darkness. I know. It's like, Pastor, it's December. It's Christmas sermons. Can't help it. It's just is what it is. 
The light of Christ has come to light up, light up our life, light up every part of our life. Listen to this in Luke chapter 11, 33 through 36. It says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, so you just view yourself as the lamp, look to the person next to you and say, you're the lamp. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. We got to let our light so shine before men. Those who come in will see the light. And it says in 34, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore... When your eye is good, your whole body will be also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part Having no part of darkness, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. There's a lot there that we can't dare to try to unpack right now. Suffice to say in today's message that the goal is, the goal is that your whole life your whole body, your, your thought process, the, the places we're journeying in and traveling, that the entirety of our life would be filled with the light of Christ. I find that we often still compartmentalize our lives. And they do get less and less compartmentalized as we move forward in our walk with Christ. But we have to decompartmentalize. I don't even know. That might have just made that one up. Is that good? Am I good with that one? We have to do that. So I don't have to say it again. So that we don't have... Areas of our life that we're not allowing the light of Christ to penetrate. We're, we're put this little compartment over here and this little compartment over here. Whereas in a Luke eleven thirty three through 36 is talking about allowing our whole body, our whole life to be inundated with the light of Christ. There's coming... A day, as we just begin to wrap up this today, there's coming a day unlike today where it will be an eternal day of light. Right now, we're battling. We battle even with the first advent of Christ having arose and that, that bright and morning star having burst forth over the dark skies. We still battle with day in and day out, the setting and the rising, day in and day out, the temptations, the pushing off, the day in, the day out, being transformed, the day in, the day out, grasping and holding and for dear life some days to the promises of God. 
There's coming a day, a, a long, eternal, never-ending day of light. In Christ's coming, his first advent was the, the initiating of this finale of this great day that was soon and is sooner approaching today. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19 through 22, it says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory. I like that. Your God, your glory. Verse 20, your sun shall no longer go down. There'll no longer be any darkness. See, that's the day that we're approaching. That's, that's actually the days that we are attempting to live now. Right now. You can have the light of the sun of righteousness shining forth continually in every aspect of your life today. You don't have to fight the continual fight of the same old temptations over and over again. There's freedom. You don't have to fight over and over again with the same addictions and the same abuses. You don't have to do that to yourself and or others. There's freedom in the light of Christ filling our entire life. He goes on to finish in Isaiah. Well, for us to finish this passage in Isaiah chapter 60, midway through verse 20. Nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be an everlasting light in the days of your mourning. Not M-O-R-N-I-N-G, but M-O-U-R. Your mourning the days of your mourning shall be ended. This, of course, is speaking prophetically, but I want to speak in the present tense and telling us, each one of us today, that your days of mourning can actually end now. They can end. The mourning of a past life, the mourning of past mistakes, the mourning of losses in our life, we have to, the morning of failure, we have to release these things to the light of Christ and allow the light of Christ to remove the darkness of mourning. There's a time for grief. There's a season for mourning, but it's not one that's to be lived in perpetually for the rest of our life. You lose somebody special to you, you mourn from them. Something tragic happens to you or someone close to you, there is a season of mourning. There's a tragic failure in your life, there's a season of mourning, that mistake. But we don't stay and live in our mourning. We allow the light of Christ to shine forth and break through that darkness. That sadness and bring in return the joy of the Lord into our lives. 
It's the light of the world. What's the, the use of the first advent for light to burst forth if, if we don't take and have this light in every part of our life? He goes on in verse 21. Also your people shall all be righteous. Look to the person next to you and say, you're called to be righteous. 